Welcome to episode 487 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 487 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good. Yourself? You, you must be missing me. Yeah, yeah, I'm devastated. <laughs> Absolutely devastated. Yeah, yeah. It's bath time in the Newsom household, so I've been uh, called off bathing duty. It's a children, not Belinda. And Back it uh, up. yeah, Monday, Monday night in good old Christchurch. Missing you, as always. So, John, I suppose the most important thing is, is the rugby. Did you watch the games? I've watched the games. Even watched Australia, Australia play Argentina this morning. And was that yeah. close? I didn't actually see the game. Was it close? It kind of was. Aussies were thumping them, but they weren't pulling away on the scoreboard. So the Argies could have done a cheeky victory, a bit like the Saffirs could have done on us. Yep. So it was a, in some way it was a bit similar, but uh, I think we're in for one hell of a final. So looking, kind of looking forward to next weekend, but I am a bit gutted because I'm really not going to be able to see it because I'm running the marathon. Of course. Oh, true. How's the, how, 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 we'll talk about this later on. Anyway, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by? Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And we're going to name a few of them right now. We've got Mark uh, Wilshire, Wilshire and he's the unpredictable. Brian, the funny guy, Fallon. We've got uh, Adrian... Fui, moi, fui, fui. Is that how you say that one? Fui, fui, because remember, fui, fui, moi, moi is the oh, uh, that's right. rugby league player. That's right, yep. Michael, the meat muncher Egan. Uh, we've got Paula Green, the divine one, or blended brilliance. She can choose either way, so there you go. On this week's show, guys, it is a little bit of a different show. I'm literally at uh, Stockholm's airport. I've got eight planes sitting right here in front of me, so it's kind of, it's the last week before we get back into the studios, but we've got a couple interviews, John Bo, so who are they with? We have. We've got a guy called Daryl Griffiths, uh, who is a he, he develops sports nutrition products and helps out of a lot of people with um, sports nutrition. And the reason this one came about is Caroline Stephan made a post when she was in Kona, restating how this guy had helped her out hugely, overcoming um, consistent gastro problems. And yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a really good interview and flies in the face and a little bit of the other stuff we've heard from perhaps a sports scientist, but it really seems to work with the people's, people that have approached him and uh, he's got you know, a lot of people. So it's very much around sweat rate um, and sodium concentration and trying to figure that out. It's so personalized. So I think for a lot of people, if you're still having problems vomiting in the race and things like that, then this is an interview that... Um, may give you a few new ideas and then we also have Jody Gilchrist who is an Australian age grouper who finished fourth in the 50 to 54 age group the females in Kona a few weeks ago oh, good times and uh, we've got a little bit of news and some questions and answers at the end well Jonbo not much racing happening this week so what's what's happening we haven't had much racing it's very dead I was sort of searching for a few results but we did have uh, Ironman Los Cabos which literally took place today and wouldn't say smoking fast times. We had Fernand, Fernando Vargas Gabria from Mexico take it out in 9.25, 101 swim, 5.08 on the bike, 3.11 on the run. 
two-minute victory over another Mexican fella, Fernando Lopez, and a French dude, Xavier Fanavard, in third in 9.28. So only three minutes covering the first three. This was an age group only oh, race. I was going to say, so, it's pretty slow times, but then in yeah. that case, yeah. So, and then on the female side of things, we had in first place uh, from Belgium, Liz Vey Hayden. Um, in 10.43, six-minute victory over Marissa Franco and Sonia Wyke in third in 11.02. So, again, on the girls' side of things, um, slower times. There may have been a reason for it. The run times there look pretty, a little bit on the slow side, so you never know what you're going to get in Mexico. We do know that they've had that gigantic storm going through. We've got no idea on my geography if that's had any effect whatsoever on, on Los Cabos. Um do see Jordan Blanco there who came on the length of New Zealand camp uh, a few years ago there in uh, about sixth place overall. Um, so good stuff, Jordan. We also had Ironman in Maryland happen and it was the actual swim was shortened to 3,000 metres. So was that, was that wind? Well, they had that. This is the one that they delayed for a couple oh, of weeks. So okay. I've yeah. got to say good on WTC for, for pulling this off because they had that sort of typhoon go through um, and they had to scramble. They cancelled or postponed the race and a lot of people thought they were just going to can it and uh, call it a day but good on them. I'd imagine they would have had a lot of um, did not starts because of people who had already had their travel accommodation and stuff paid for and maybe decided not to go. But anyway, we had a, a Kiwi, Tim Smith, actually take it out. And again, this is an age group only race. Swam 41, rode 438, just spanked everybody on the bike and then ran 310 for an 838 uh, for a 12-minute victory over Christopher Thomas and Matthias Palavigentio. And uh, on the girls' side of things... We had, come on, Ironman.com, Christina Lauer from States, 9.42 from Kristen White and Perina Lunchio. It's fascinating, just, you know, recently since I've kind of made this switch to going to non-pro races, it's amazing how often they're popping up, isn't it? More and more. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's got its its pros and cons. I think either way, my personal opinion is they should have pros at every race, but not points at every race. And I also think that they should have some non-Kona qualifying races because it is becoming a real lottery. You know, I've, so for example, I've got a guy who he's sort of in that sort of, he, I think he got sixth or seventh at a, at a race in the 50s sort of age group. And you know, a lot of the races like next year are going to 40 slots only and then it goes to two slots and it just becomes such a lottery. Yeah. So I think much like they do with the pro races where they really prioritise the points towards the regional championships, I'd much rather see them prioritise um, some races where they have more age group slots. I know that, that they do that to a degree with the regional championships, but I really do feel that I think they'd still have perfectly good fields if they had non Kona qualifying races um, I think it would take a little bit off the race but uh, uh, that's my personal opinion I think that if they're going to keep expanding they need to have some non-Kona qualifying races. It would be really interesting to see how that would influence the race because you know mm. I, I always kind of sell this idea of the golden ticket that the Kona slot even though a lot of people probably realistically aren't going to get there a lot of people still think they can and you know perception reality is sometimes a different thing but yeah it'd be interesting to see what would happen to the fields you know, would they still sell out or would it be a much slower field overall? You know, you get someone like Russell Cox on it to actually do the stats on how it would change races if you took away those slots from the races. It'd be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? 
It would. Yeah, and I'd be uh, really interested to see what happens. So, but at the moment, it looks like the, the, the plan is, you know, we just keep rolling out races and chuck, you know, 20, 30, 40 slots at it. And um, it's just going to make it harder and harder and harder to qualify at uh, different races. Well, I think you know they're doing this again because they've announced two new races in Italy. John, you can name the, the location of the full distance race. Oh, Good luck oh, with here that. We go. Here we go. Civitavecchia. Uh, it's going to have a good. full distance race, uh, full distance Ironman race on October 16th. So I think that'll be the week after Kona. Uh, I, I, I can pronounce the other one, Bevan, but it's only a 70.3 they're going to have in Rome. So I wonder what kind of course they'll be able to get, pull off in Rome. Because when you think of doing a 70.3 in Rome, if they can get a good location, mate, that'd be a race I'd love to do because Rome's just amazing. Uh, yeah. It just depends on what kind of course they can pull off, doesn't it? It's a bit like Iron Man New York. Was yeah. Really, Iron Man New York. Yeah. So we'll wait and see on that one. But imagine if they could, you know, imagine if they could do something pretty special with some of the landmarks in Rome. That'd be an amazing race. Bike through the Vatican and stuff. Yeah, it'd yeah. be pretty cool. I don't uh, see it happening, but. Uh, they've also announced a new 70.3 happening in Atlanta City. And they're basically, t- from, from what I can read out of this, is they're very much taking over the the, the, the challenge um, race that used to be at Atlantic City. So challenge had a full and a half at Atlantic City, and it seems like the same race management is staying in place. The race date is moving from June to September, but it really... Um, for me, it points to the, the complete retreat almost of challenge, and well, no, I think fully of challenge out of the USA. So the, the Rev 3s have gone back to Rev 3, and uh, the, you know, the, the few you know, challenge races that they did run, such as Atlantic City, uh, they're pulling out of that. So as far as I can see, and please email, email us in if I'm uh, mistaken here, but it seems that challenge are completely pulled out of the US market. They still do have the races in Canada with, uh, with Penticton. And St Andrews, but as far as I can see, they're basically pulling out of the USA. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? You know, if, when we, when they made that move a few years ago, we thought they did a pretty good approach by taking over Rev Three. But it, as you say, it hasn't really taken off, has it? No, it's just it's just a numbers game. And, and you Americans, you've you've spoken with your feet and you've said, you know, we want to go to seventy point three races. We want to go to uh, Ironman races. Um, you do, you know, we, we we often just it seems that we talk about Ironman and Challenge, but in the states, you know, there's lots of other operators, you know, set up events and companies like that that run big series, you know, half Ironman races, um, Olympic distance races. So it's just a, you know, it's a difficult market to crack and uh, they haven't cracked it. And from as far as I can see, they're going to, you know, focus on the races that they've got elsewhere in the world where there's maybe not quite as much competition. They do very well with the European races. You know, Challenge have got a great brand over there Um, in terms of their other sort of destinations you know they've got races in uh, Chile the Philippines New Zealand quite a few through um, Australia and, and they'd seem to, to do pretty well with those races so I guess you know focus on the things they're doing really well and um, stop doing the things where they're, they're struggling well in another area they have stopped doing one of those things is Challenge Bahrain has officially been announced that it's no longer going to race on the 20th of November and they're saying it's due to road traffic management problems uh, they will be offering a 50% refund or refund plus 50% off another Challenge race and they've kind of limited the race although there are lots of races to choose from there's a few questions here first of all what happens with the Triple Crown yes so everything's been very very quiet on that yeah so either nothing will happen to it or maybe it'll go to Bahrain 70.3 
but uh, I think this might be a slightly different story if um, if Daniela Reef wasn't on the Bahrain Endurance 13 team. Yeah. Um, but she's the only one in the running, and who knows what might be going on there. there might just and be and let's be honest, she'd take the money. You know, like it's, well, highly <laughs> likely she's going to get the money if they have the race. So, mm. you know, it's, she's got a lot riding on it, hasn't she? Mm, million bucks. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, yes, you make more than that out of a Kona win in terms of endorsements and what is it? Is it six hundred fifty thousand US prize money? I think it is, or something. I can't remember what it is for first place in Kona. I should, I'll look that up in a moment. Yep. Um, but she's the one that's got stuff to lose. But everything seems to be pretty quiet on that front. But look, I think there's um, we could really put the the boot into challenge here. It's not a good look when you're cancelling a race um, less than one month before it. But I do think there's a lot of uh, political stuff going on in that neck of the woods, which uh, may have contributed to what's all the stuff that's going on there. So I think there's more than meets the eye, and I think running races in the Middle East is probably not quite as straightforward as uh, just going and getting your local uh, council to approve a traffic management plan and getting your surf surf lifeguards out there. I think there's a bit more to meets the eye. It seems that perception-wise at the moment that Challenger needs a few wins, you know, like in the last period of time, you know, we, we all know that Challenge put on amazing races and the feedback we always get from the listeners that the races are phenomenal. But at the same time, in the last period of time, it just seems like they just had a few little knockbacks there. It kind of, you know, it seems like they just need to have a couple wins to get momentum, even just public perception around Challenge right now. I would agree with that, but we look at things through the US media um, largely, and I think if you looked at things through the, the European media, um, through the German media, maybe you'd be looking at these things in a slightly different way, and that's their stronghold. Um, and but we look at it, you know, when, when I go to websites, it's you know, it's Ironman.com, it's Triathlete Mag, it's Slow Twitch, things like that, where it's just very much US centric. Whereas um, I think in, in Europe they're, they're still pretty strong, um, but the US it's been a yeah it's been a complete failure well good luck you know because we think I think challenges are a really important part of our sport so keep doing up the good work guys um, let's do a sponsor Jombo let's go that's pretty much the news for this week team so let's do a sponsor extreme endurance no, lactic buffer what are we talking about this week Jombo so basically when you finish your training especially your key sessions one of the things you can uh, really get stuck into is the extreme endurance protein it's a blend of whey protein isolate whey protein Hydro slide, um, a bunch of other things that I can't even pronounce. 18 amino acids um, produced with cold process filtration, which allows it to be at its most bioavailable and digestible form. It is among, among the most inclusive recovery products on the market. And the best thing about it is it tastes bloody good. So check it out, xendurance.com. Um, and their protein product is fantastic. And it's something that I really made a point of doing, you know, especially during the Ironman build last Last year, I'd be lying if I said I'd go protein and stuff after every single session. But after those big long key sessions where you really are, you know, damaging your system, um, you know, having a, a really good nutrition plan for post session and you know towards the end of your session means you're going to bounce back a lot quicker. And uh, the extreme endurance protein is basically where I was going to sort of first port of call. Just easy to take in. You walk in the door, get your bottle out. Shove it in and uh, get a nice, some nice cool fluids in rather than trying to... Where, where, where are you shoving it in? That's what I wanted to know. Well, I, I was watching Austin Powers last night and that had some pretty funny things uh, oh, the sheet being scene. shoved in different... Yeah. Sorry? The sheet scene. They do the traditional kind of yes. shadow scene, don't they? Um, yeah. 
Team, if, so, if, if you're already using X Endurance, like Extreme Endurance, just when you go to the shop, just order some protein powder while you're at it. It makes it kind of easy. You can get all your orders at one time, and then you can get on some of that good protein powder. So xendurance.com. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up now. Judy Gilchrist, fourth and 50 to 54. Let's get it on, eh? Yeah, and we, I will just say before we start, um, I did this interview myself. There was quite a few cutouts. The old Wi-Fi was not behaving particularly well um, on Jody's end, so there'll be a few cutouts. Hopefully it still flows really well, but we had a number of people email and saying, get her on because she's a bloody legend. Uh, she does a bunch of coaching, and in that 50 to 54 age group, just smoked it. Okay, here she is. Right, as we've promised, we've got some more age groupers on the show from Kona. One of those smoked it in the 50 to 54 age group, got herself a nice little salad bowl by swimming 122, riding 601, running a smoke in 347 for 1123. So fourth in the 50 to 54 age group. It's Jody Gilchrist from Australia. Welcome along. Thanks, John, for having me. Right, so uh, the, the usual questions are, people want to know how the hell you got there, so tell us a bit about your, your um, background in terms of uh, where, where you are as an athlete and how you got there. Well, um, obviously a mature age athlete, but have been um, active my whole life in running and took up triathlon about eight years ago, doing all the short course stuff and just enjoying the new experiences and I had a crack at um, Ironman in 2010 at Busselton um, just by myself I grabbed an online program and followed that and um, had a pretty good day out I did 12:40, happy to tick it off the bucket list but like all athletes overanalyzed the race afterwards and realized you know I probably could do better if, you know, I had the right support around me. Mm -hmm. So um, I sourced out an Ironman coach, which was Xavier Kopok from Team Tri Coaching. Mm -hmm. And um, the since I've been with him, which is just coming up for three years in December, um, he's got me to Kona three times and... Um, Saturday a couple of weeks ago was um, the best result we've had there so far. Well, what's your what's your, your progression been like in Kona? Because uh, it's it's not an easy race to race. I mean, Ironman's not easy full stop. But how are you? How are your first two experiences over there? Oh, both have been absolutely magnificent, and all three have been quite different. Uh, the first year I qualified in Cairns in 2013, so I had a Fairly short turnaround, um, in in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Some people do them a lot closer, but um, I did get a soft tissue injury leading into the first one, so ended up having to walk the marathon, which didn't really bother me other than the, the first couple of days when it happened because going to Kona was just the ultimate for me. Yeah. Um, and being a student of the sport, following it for so many years, it was just the most incredible experience ever. Yeah. Um, then the next year, I was fit and healthy and um, qualified at Melbourne in 2014 and had a good prep, was really, and moved up an age group. So, you know, I really wanted to have a, a good crack at the race and I finished 10th and was over the moon you know mm -hmm. had a had a good day even though I th 
2014 was a much windier day, so my bike was quite slow, mm. um, but still ran well off the bike. And then this year, um, with another couple of Ironman preps under my belt, I did Port Macquarie and won the age group there mm. and um, had a had a few niggling injuries going into this race, but managed them well. Probably a little underdone on the run because of it, but um, still um, worked my way through the field um, with a strong running background. So I was over the moon again with um, with fourth. I was just pinching myself still that um, got this little salad bowl at home. <laughs> what's what's the, sort of the, the, the driving motivating factor for you to – a keep going back to Kona, but sort of staying in the sport. You know what really drives you to get get faster each year? Oh, I just look at um, the people I train with, um, my competitors, and I'm always trying to improve. Um, and already now, like I look at my results in Kona, and the the main difference between um, me and the rest of the top five was my swim. Mm. I mean, there was some exceptional, like the winner ran 3.19 and second place rode 5.26, which were exceptional for my age group. But um, I was a long way off in the swim and I really need to um, improve that. So that will be what I'll be working on this, this next prep. So, and, and you mentioned there, um, you know, training with other people. Do, do you do sort of group sessions? Do you train with Xavier's group, or are you located in a different area? And, and if so, how do you sort of find training in a group where I'd imagine he has some um, pretty fast dudes? Is that did that was that intimidating for you early on, or, or how have you sort of responded to the group environment? Um, well, I live in Melbourne, and yes, I do get to share um, a few sessions a week with the group. Um, but like all Ironman training, we have to do a lot on our own just for um, time management. Um, but no, I'm never intimidated. I or have always trained with people that are a lot better than me, and I think that is probably a key to um, anyone's success is that you you pushed outside your comfort zone a bit. Um, and Xavier manages the group sessions really well. So if if we are doing a run squad, you know, they're, they're designed around people's upcoming races. So, you know, you might be split up into smaller groups, even if there's 30 of us mm. um, and like like abilities. So, um, yeah, I think I think it works really well and, and um, he manages that brilliantly. Mm. And also for the run, same thing and then um, swim squad obviously you have different lanes for different abilities and you know you're always challenging yourself to try and um, keep up with the people that are a little bit better than you. Mm. So what's your sort of um, your home setup? I mean we're talking to you you've snuck off at work while we do this interview um, what's your sort of your, your sort of nine to five or, or how's your how's your week sort of set up? Yeah so I am a nine to five worker um, I also coach a half a dozen people with team try coaching mm-hmm. and um, obviously training for Ironman, life's pretty busy. Mm. Um, I have um, a really supportive partner. Uh, he works shift work and is away a couple of days a week, so the guilt factor gets <laughs> um, I don't feel so guilty when he's away yeah. and I'm training crazy hours, but um He's so supportive and everybody that knows me 
shows how much he does for me. So um, I, I really, really um, acknowledge that, you know, having home support is, has helped me a lot. Yeah. So um, people love to know how many hours and stuff you train per week. Do you sort of do four swims, four bikes, four runs, more or less? What's your sort of, you know, when you're in a typical Ironman build-up, roughly what, what, what sort of training are you doing? Okay, uh, for swims, um, I run a lot, but they range from 30 minutes, um, e- a lot of easy running, yeah. uh, and probably about six to eight runs a week, mm-hmm. depending, and that's including runs off the bike. I always run off the bike, mm-hmm. um, and my bikes are one. Three three bikes a week, occasionally four with a recovery ride on a Sunday mm. after the long run. Um, and hours, um, obviously building up to a big Ironman, I'm sorry, the business end of the Ironman prep, up to 25 hours. Mm. But early on, you know, anywhere between 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you sort of see your training contrast to, you know, younger athletes or some of the younger, faster dudes? You know, if you've got a, a thirty-year-old in your group, um, how, how do you, how does your sort of training differ to to what those guys are doing? Uh, well, we we basically train on time, so I guess the difference between um, someone of a faster ability is um, they might get more K's in, hmm. but. I think the time is the same, so the time in the legs or in the pool. I think um, depending on the athlete and their circumstances, it's um, it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what, the other thing that I'm always interested in, I'm um, bitching and complaining. I'm, I'm 39 and about to turn 40 and seem to have had more injuries in the last year than I've had in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, you, you've been at this eight years. Um, how is your body sort of holding up and, and has is it changed much as you've sort of gone through your, your 40s into, your, into the 50s? Uh, definitely with the recovery, I've noticed takes longer. Um you know, you don't bounce back as quickly as you used to. And um, Xavier's right on top of that. And after an Ironman, I have a big, long rest, and I mean doing nothing. So oh. I've, I've run for the train since Kona, and that's about it. Mm. Um, not been in the pool or on my bike. I don't think it's even unpacked yet. But <laughs> um, just, just really taking care of the recovery and when I do have a niggle um, we back right off um, any intensity Mm -hmm. so that you know I can I'd rather get to the start line of an Ironman 90% done than injured so Um, okay so maybe tell us a bit about your your day in Kona Um, you know obviously I was there in 2014 so know what it was like then the main thing we've been hearing about uh, 2015 it was it was pretty hot so maybe start us out with the swim and you've done the race a couple of times now where you've had the split start so maybe talk through whether you like that whether you preferred it the old way um, and then sort of talk us through through your day um, for historical reasons, I'd love us all to be together, but I completely understand why Iron Man have split it and I'm a bit philosophical about this stuff. It is what it is, so just get on with it. Mm. Um, and, you know, with 600 women, you know, it's pretty crowded still, so you still get that buzz of the, you know, the gun going off and, you, and arms and legs 
going everywhere. Um, each year at Kona, I've noticed in the swim, um, it's it's a lot longer coming back. And I'm I'm a pretty steady swimmer, and I don't really fade. I don't have much speed either, but I just seem to be able to turn the arms over and keep going. But um, I I've looked each time I've turned the boat, and um, I think I'm heading in for about a 116 to 118 swim and then I've got out of the water <laughs> pretty much within 30 seconds each year of mm. of each other. So um, it is a bit longer coming back, obviously, because it's a deep water start out towards the end of the pier. So obviously mm. the distance is a wee bit longer. But um, I, all, I think there's probably a current come, heading into us as we're swimming back in. So mm. um, that slows us up. Um, transition, really great. The volunteers are incredible in Kona um, and all races actually, but um, seem seem to feel like a bit of a rock star in transition there. Um, jump on the bike. I love the little bit of um, the loop around town, lots of people and uh, lots of adrenaline rushing and then out onto the Queen K. This year definitely wasn't as windy. Um, I did feel it was warm, but not that much warmer than the previous two years. Mm. Um, just did the usual, you know, water over the top of, of, of you at each aid station, taking in all the nutrition and hydration that I had planned. Um, headwind coming back for the slower age groupers like me hits us at about Waikoloa with about 40k to go. Mm. Um, this year it definitely was not as bad, um, but saying that I rode probably three minutes faster in 2013, so mm. pretty similar to that year I would imagine. Um, and then on the run, because, you know, I'm getting off the bike at about seven and a half hours after the start time, it's a hot a long, probably a lee drive for the first 15 to 20, uh, 18 K. And then, you know, once the start, sun starts getting low, it's not that hot for me out on the Queen K or in and out of the energy lab mm. compared to, you know, the faster, younger athletes who are out there when the sun's a lot higher. Mm. So I guess that's a benefit. <laughs> So are you are you finishing before before dark or not? No, that is my goal, I believe. <laughs> uh, um, and I joke about it. I was like, all I want to do is beat the sun home. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm getting closer. <laughs> I guess definitely getting closer. But the 15 minute later start has really um, uh, put a spanner in, in the works there. So what time does the sun? What time does the sun sort of go down? How much quicker would you need to be? Um, well, if they put the start back yeah. <laughs> with the boys, um, it's probably about 6.15. So yeah. I'd have to get really close to 11 or under. Yeah. Oh, 20, mm. 20 minutes to go. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, we often talk to a lot of guys and we'd have a lot less female age group athletes on the on the show. So um, what's some of your, your sort of general advice for, especially, um, you know, over 40s and over 50 female athletes because we know that that's an area where Ironman are looking to to try to expand. So if, if there's sort of newer athletes or only a couple of years into their journey, what are, what are some of the, the key things that you've sort of learnt over the years? 
Um, what I have noticed um, with a lot of female athletes, they are intimidated with training with men. And for me, that was quite a surprise because um, being a lifetime athlete, I actually have five brothers. So I've never felt that, you know, doing my sport with boys is, is unusual. Um, but I'm realising now as I've got older, that is quite a big deal to, to younger women. And there are a lot of body issues as well um body image issues sorry um which i again never really made never thought of to be honest but um i think that holds a lot of women back but the the triathlon pink movement is really good at introducing women to sport and i encourage any woman of any age that is keen to get into our sport to have a crack at that first maybe and um, just so they can see that they can do it. And then you know, racing with men is no different to racing with women for me. It's just they're just another athlete out there and we're all trying to do our best. Nice. So what's what's on the um, the radar for you then in terms of now you've you've made it up onto the podium are you still motivated to to get back there next year and see if you can uh, get up another couple more spots? Absolutely. Um, I didn't realise there were different size bowls on the podium. Oh yeah. And <laughs> and when I saw my um, teammate Ben Bell's bowl because he won his age group in the forties to forty fours, I was like wow wouldn't that be cool and he got a really cool jacket as well so <laughs> um yes i will be trying again um and another thing with the um as as athletes get older they tend to um have a couple of years break at the older end of their age group when yeah. they're targeting kona and they'll tr try and strike when they're <laughs> um like the first year of the age yeah. group, yeah, because um, obviously as we get older, we're getting a little bit slower. So, um, But I will have another go at it next year for sure. Okay, so just um, wrapping it up, in, in terms of if people like to follow you, do you do, do, you do anything? You, you sort of said you're coaching a few people. Do you do any sort of blogs, Facebook stuff? What's If people want to follow what you're up to, um, what's the best way to do that? Uh, we have a Facebook page for team which is Team Try Coaching and we also have a website teamtrycoaching.com you can um, look us up there and um, welcome to follow me on Facebook Jodie Louise Gilchrist um, I'm pretty active on there and I'm also on Twitter um, look we'll hopefully see you from the, the sidelines next year and cheer you on and uh, let's aim for no glow sticks next year <laughs> Thanks, John. No problem. Okay, John, but we are back. Let's talk about athlinks.com. We will indeed. Um, my favourite place to go to geek out and check out everybody's results. And last weekend, or we talked about Ironman Los Cabos. I thought we'd have a quick look back at the year before from Los Cabos and see how some of the athletes did. And we've got Adam Carlson, who finished there in 26th place. He was the first age grouper who's on Athlinks, and he finished in 931. 
goodness, would have almost bloody won the race this year, this year with yeah. the, the times that we saw there. So last year, last year obviously we had the pros. So that's the difference it makes. You know, last year we had Daniel Fontana take it out in eight twenty six. Uh, pretty big difference to what we saw this year. But last year Adam Carlson took it out. He's from Oakland, California, in terms of the uh, athletes finishes. But he's got decided to have a private profile. So Adam can't talk you up if you've got a private profile on oh, athletes. With the love, Adam, share the love <laughs> of the world. Yes. God, there's no pro- you shouldn't have privacy on the internet. No. Nathan Miller. <laughs> Nathan Miller, let's see if, you, if you're sharing the love. Private profile as well. Goodness me, guys. Uh, sort it out. Exactly. Guys, if you want to you know, check out the path that it takes to get to Kona, um, it's, it's often pretty tricky to do from Ironman.com where it's just the straight results from that race. Um, but you go to Athlinks, you can see where these guys have come from, what it takes to get to the top. So check it out, athlinks.com. And make sure when you've done a race that you get it listed up there. You know, Athlinks can't go around scanning every single um, race in the world. So once you've done a race, submit the results into athlinks.com and then uh, it usually takes a couple of weeks for them to wait till they're all sort of uh, verified and then they pump them up there and you can talk up a big game and keep all your results in one place and again we come back to this um well you know these challenge races that have disappeared from the states if you did those races those results are basically going to disappear from the database you know the challenge websites will go down eventually in the next yeah, I don't know, six months or so, and the results will disappear. But if you keep them all on Athlinks, it means you'll be able to, to hold on to those results after events uh, finish up and run their course. Yeah, it's a really good point, John. So get on to Athlinks.com, guys. Submit your races, keep a record, and you'll, uh, yeah, you'll, even if the races disappear, you won't. Uh, you like that one? <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to take an interview up. Jumbo, who's who have we got today? So Daryl Griffiths, um, we talked about him in the intro. He has got a sports nutrition company in Australia. But as you're going to hear, you know, this interview is very much around um, sweat testing. So you're measuring how much, you know, the volume you are sweating, the volume of fluid you're losing, but also importantly, the you know, the concentration of your sodium. And he's had huge success um, helping people with nutrition once they've actually figured out how they're sweating. So rather than just going into Kona or a hot race thinking, right, I need to drink uh, one bottle every hour, it's just, as you're going to hear, it's just massively varied um, in terms of the fluid, the, the variation in the amounts of fluid people lose, but also the concentration of sweat that they might lose. So you may, you know, sweat a lot, but the concentration of your sodium might be really low or vice versa. Um, you may sweat minimally, but the concentration of your sodium is very high. So it's going to help you to figure out that balance and actually go into a race going, right, I need to drink 500 mils per hour roughly, and I need to have this amount of sodium per hour to sort of keep things in equilibrium. So, yeah, it's, uh, I really enjoyed doing this interview. So listen to Daryl and um, for you guys that have, have struggled, uh, yeah, might give you a new few new strings to your bow to try out at your next race. Okay, so here's Daryl Griffiths from thinkgofaster.com. Okay, um, we are going to go delve back into race nutrition. We've um, covered it a lot in the past, sort of general nutrition, race nutrition, but one of the athletes that's been one of the most consistent performers over the last few years um, has been Caroline Stephan. She recently was over in Kona and did a blog post there about some, some of the steps she's made to overcome some pretty serious um, nutritional issues she had in races. And I thought we'd find out the, a bit more from the guy that's helped her. His name's Daryl Griffiths from Think Go Faster, and we're just going to yeah, try to delve into this a bit more. So welcome along to the show, Daryl. 
Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. So tell, tell us a bit about yourself in terms of um, where, where you're from, sort of qualifications, background, stuff like that, which, which helped make you a bit of an expert in this area. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that word expert because it's, uh, uh, in regards to sports nutrition, there's so many variables and uh, it, it, there's just too many things to cover to, uh, to expect someone to know everything. But uh, it, it's, my background is really, I, I didn't take the university path. Uh, it's all just been um, pure applied research, just mm. uh, working with athletes, and finding out um, their own physiological makeup and then working to those numbers because everyone is so different and uh, having an understanding of your particular numbers and when I talk about numbers I talk about uh, the sweat, your sweat rate in varying conditions because obviously your sweat rate changes depending on the environmental conditions. And interestingly the, the sodium concentration of that sweat um, that is a number which is unique to an athlete and the disparity in sodium concentration in sweat is massive. Uh, of the 500 plus athletes that I've tested, uh, the sodium concentration in sweat uh, has ranged from 356 milligrams of sodium per one litre of sweat up to 2,314 milligrams mm. per one litre of sweat. So. Mm a big disparity there and uh, when, when you mention Caroline and the work that we did together uh, to sort out stomach issues that, that she was experiencing um, was learning her actual numbers, her sweat rate and her sodium concentration in sweat and uh, we worked out that she has quite a low sodium uh, concentration in her sweat and she has quite a low sweat rate as well. So what she was finding in, in cooler races previously when she was relying on her calories in a drink is that she was just forcing herself to have to drink a lot more than she needed to in those particular conditions. Um, so understanding that, that the volume of fluid that you require is based on two things. It's based on the intensity that you compete at and it's based on the environmental conditions. Mm -hmm. So with these sugary or calorie filled drinks, you're locked into a set volume of fluid and it's something that you need to change. It's, it's something you can't set a specific amount of fluid for every time you compete because unless you compete in the same conditions every time, but it's unlikely, particularly if you do a lot of um, competition, that you're going, to, uh, you're going to experience different conditions and that alters the volume of fluid that you're going to require and it's going to alter the sodium concentration that you require as well. So you, you've um, on your on your website you've got a sweat test kit which is available for Australians. What's the sort of process for people to go through um, to figure out a their sweat rate um, and b sodium concentration and other electrolytes that, that you figured out are, are important for them to get on top of their nutrition? Yeah, the the well the uh, the sweat test kit came up came about because uh, I was getting a lot of um, requests for uh, athletes to want to do this test and previously all the testing was the athlete either came to me or I went to them and we would do it in a, a group um, scenario um, but what was what was happening and what was glaringly obvious was that uh, these athletes were, were going to um, so-called uh, experts 
mm-hmm. finding out their numbers, and then armed with these numbers, they could they could tell that, okay, well, I'm going to be competing. It's likely to be mid twenties to high twenties, and in those conditions, I lose 1.8 liters an hour, and my sodium concentration in sweat is 1500 milligrams per one liter of sweat. So I know that I'm losing around about 2,700 milligrams of sodium an hour. And the advice I would get would be, well, use this sugary sports drink and um, you know you should be right. And now that they have their, an understanding of what their losses are or, a, or a, an approximation of their losses, they go, okay, well, that's great. I'm losing 2,700 milligrams an hour but that drink that you provided me is only going to give me three to 400 milligrams of sodium an hour. What about the other 2,300? And I uh, expect to be out there on the bike for five hours. So a massive, um, sorry, mate, right. a massive uh, uh, difference between what I'm being provided and, uh, and what I'm losing. So that, that was the uh, initial reason for um, providing the sweat test kit where it's um, it's quite it's not an easy test because it, it's it's one hour on a wind trainer or a treadmill mm-hmm. um, at race intensity or as close to race intensity as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sweat patches that are provided they're an adhesive um, patch with a with a, a top of a gauze in the middle which collects the sweat, and that's um, that's used uh, to collect the sweat that's coming up through the through the pores um, and then what the athlete, what the, uh, the athlete then does is um, they have a they're provided a, a small syringe which the patch is uh, put into and then they squeeze the, the sweat into a specimen jar which is then sent back to to my office and then I analyze that sweat uh, in my office um, once the results are are, uh, are available I then uh, contact uh, the athlete, and we speak. We talk about um, their particular uh, numbers, and then how to address a hydration strategy uh, based on their particular needs. And then also to, we discuss how their hydration strategy will change based on the environmental conditions that they're likely competing in. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if it's a if it's a cold race or it's cool in the morning then the need for fluid is not going to be as much as what it's going to be later in the day as it gets hotter. Um, so we discuss all those sorts of things and how that alters the accumulative loss of sodium based on their sweat rate. How do you, how do you sort of predict that from, say, Australian temperatures? Yeah, so maybe you do this test and it's 20 degrees centigrade, for example, and then they're going to be going to Kona where it's going to be you know, 35 to 40, depending on where you sort of take the measurement from. Have you sort of got some logarithms or I mean, algorithms and stuff to, to help predict that? Or how, how do you sort of um, guesstimate what the requirement would be in hotter conditions? Yeah, good question. So whether, whether you did the test in 15 degrees or whether you did the test in 30 degrees, that sodium concentration in your sweat won't change. Right. You, you'll get the same number. So the great thing is you only ever have to do that sodium concentration test once. Um, and you, you probably read some literature that the sodium concentration in sweat changes as uh, you get fitter or better heat acclimated. Well, that, that's actually not the case. That's not what I've seen. Um, I've tested athletes having done, you know, three months 
heat stress protocol. Uh, of, of we've increased salt in their diet. We've uh, done. We've tested them when they're fit, when they're unfit. Mm. Um, a whole range of different variables, and that number keep coming back the same all the time. Um, so, what does what does change is your sweat rate, and that's obviously based on on the uh, environmental conditions that you're competing in. And the lower the sweat rate, that will then determine the accumulative loss of sodium. So. Um, in regard to your question, it's uh, it's then a matter of you know let's say uh, Kona we generally we generally set the temperature and humidity around about 28 degrees with a 65 percent humidity, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty much um, the standard temperature and humidity for for Kona. Now you then will whether you do your sodium concentration testing in those conditions or not, it doesn't matter, but um, we then um, put the athlete in those conditions or similar to, and then we work out what their sweat rate is. So whether it's um, 20 degrees and their sweat rate was, uh, let's say, 1.2 litres an hour, um, then in, that, in those conditions at 28 degrees with a 65% humidity, their sweat rate won't be, might be 1.8 or, or even up to 2 litres an hour. So if there's sodium concentration in sweat, let's say, let's use a figure of 1,000 milligrams per one litre of sweat. So in the cooler conditions at 1.2 litre sweat rate, um, the accumulative loss of sodium is 1,200 milligrams per hour. So it's just 1.2 litres times 1,000 milligrams of sodium per litre of sweat. Um, In the hotter conditions, when their sweat rate increases, let's say, you know, up to two litres an hour, um, the sodium concentration stays the same, but the accumulative loss of sodium will be 2,000 milligrams an hour. So it'll be the two litres times 1,000 milligrams per one litre of sweat. Mm. So you can, you can do sweat testing in, in lots of different conditions to get an understanding of what your sweat rate is in those different conditions and then alter the volume of fluid accordingly. And is that just a case of uh, weighing yourself um, pre and post um, workout? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just uh, nude pre-weight, holding the bottles that you're going to be consuming, yeah. and then um, completely dry yourself down. And nude post-weight, holding the bottles that you that you've consumed. There might be you know some fluid left, and that gives you a net loss over that one hour. Mm. Um, it's an approximation of what your sweat rate is an hour. Yeah. Now, I think a lot of people will be listening to this and they'll be going, okay, I, I kind of get this. I I'm, I'm understand sodium loss, etc. And, and in the past, you know, most people will go, okay, I need to have salt to stop cramping. And that's sort of what we've, what we've been told is salt, stop cramping. Um, how does this sort of relate, though, to overall nutrition in terms of um, getting in the required amount of calories and stuff. Is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is that the relationship that you've sort of come up with um, rather than thinking sodium, sodium cramps, that sodium is helping the, the overall nutritional strategy? Yeah, well, what, what this does by separating your calories from your hydration, it allows you to um, customise your hydration strategy based on your needs and your needs is uh, uh, the, your sweat rate and your sodium concentration in your sweat. And the disparity between individuals is massive. So yeah. firstly, that's what it allows you to do. It allows you to 
customize your hydration based on your needs and then adapt that hydration strategy based on the conditions that you're competing in. Because your hydration strategy will change, um, it, it, it'll rarely be the same amount. What, what, what stays the same is your calorie intake or the amount of calories that you require. And that's based on two things. It's based on the intensity that you compete at. It's not based on how much you weigh. It's based on how fast you are mm. and your calorie expenditure. And secondly, it's based on how much your stomach can tolerate. And everyone's um, digestive system or, or the, the stomach's capacity is different. So this is what I've done over the last, well, many years, but specifically the last 10 years, is providing the athlete with three numbers, their sweat rate, the sodium concentration of their sweat, and their calorie expenditure. And then once you know those numbers and you have an understanding of the environmental conditions that they're going to be competing in, the, the, the key then is to bridge the gap between how much you're losing and how much your stomach can tolerate. And the better that you can bridge that gap, the better the athlete um, will function. Mm -hmm. And in regards to um, cramping, uh, to me, there's really it's not difficult it's very quite it's actually quite simple to, to sort out cramping and I have done with every single athlete I've worked with and it's been a sodium issue um, whether they have a high sodium concentration in their sweat or whether they just have a just the sheer volume of sweat um, and the accumulative loss of sodium is high and um, just by um, minimizing their percentage of loss um, we've been able to sort out cramping with every athlete that uh, that's come to me with issues. Um, it, it's it's not it, it hasn't been that difficult. It's just understanding their losses and then uh, addressing the their their individual needs. So, so in terms of the sodium and potentially other electrolytes, um, is a strategy you often use trying to completely or, or trying to maintain the levels at the same rate or is it a more a case of just consistently topping them up so they're not going to reach the same levels that they were pre-race um, but is there some sort of threshold that you, you try to keep them above for example if you're losing a thousand milligrams per hour you should be taking in 750 and that'll probably be enough to get you by or, or do you try to get that um, sort of thousand milligrams um, and, and be re-topping it to, to complete as you go through every hour of the race? Yeah, well, the key is to minimise percentage of loss because uh, for, for some athletes out there who have a low sweat rate and a low sodium concentration in their sweat, they won't really have too much issue with uh, replacing um, you know, a good percentage of what they require. And the thing is, you don't have to replace all that you lose. And that's why an athlete trains um, to compete in these endurance events in that the better conditions and better trained that you are, the better you're going to be able to, um, to uh, handle the gap between what you're losing and what your stomach can tolerate. But what, uh, what, what's become glaringly obvious over the years is that uh, some athletes um, will just naturally perform better in the heat. Mm. And those athletes are, are the ones who have a low sweat rate, have a low sodium concentration in their sweat, and they're able to uh, minimise percentage of loss better than athletes who have a higher sweat rate or, and or a higher sodium concentration in their sweat. Mm. So it's, uh, 
it, there's no there's no set amount, but um, once you have an understanding of what your accumulative loss of sodium is per hour based on the conditions, uh, you, you can you then need to try and get as close to you can as close as you can to that that number with an understanding of your stomach can only tolerate a certain amount. Mm. And in hot humid conditions, um, you know, when you look at Kona, for example, you can tell when it's been a much hotter year in that there's going to be a, less, there's going to be a lot less athletes going under 10 hours than, uh, than they normally would. And that's purely because the gap between how much their stomach can tolerate, because that's a ceiling, there's a limitation. You can't force any more than your stomach can, uh, than the capacity of your stomach. So the difference between what your stomach can, can tolerate and the amount that you're losing will obviously increase the hotter and more humid the conditions are. Mm. And you'll see much slower times for, uh, for that simple reason. So one of the questions you've got on thinkgofaster.com is, um, is one electrolyte more important than any other? So you've obviously talked a lot about sodium. Is yeah. there any other sort of key markers that, that you work off um, for, for the race day nutrition? Well, in regards to the other electrolytes and the, and the main ones that, that, that are heavily marketed is magnesium, potassium and, and, and calcium. Um, you know, they're your four main electrolytes. And I used to, previously when I started doing this electrolyte composition of sweat testing, I would test for, for those other electrolytes as well. Um, sodium is mainly extracellular or in the bloodstream. And it's losses, and the amount you lose is significantly higher than your magnesium, potassium, and calcium. Mm. Um, those three are mainly intracellular inside the cell. Um, and, and for that reason, um, sports nutrition is all about replacing what you're losing most of. And, you know, I'll use magnesium as an example. Uh, the testing that I did, I, only, I didn't really test a lot because the numbers that I was seeing was, you know, 2.5 milligrams, 4.9 milligrams, very small amounts of magnesium loss. And uh, when you look at a Hartman solution or a saline drip that, you know, probably a lot of athletes that might be listening to this, if they've done Ironman uh, or endurance training, may have ended up on a saline drip. Mm. And that's a, a one-litre bag of water with 3,000 milligrams of sodium. There's not one milligram of magnesium in that saline drip. Mm. So if magnesium was important to rehydration, it would be in that saline drip. So that, that was the reason I, I've put a little bit in the formulation that I've put together in the, in the electrolyte tablets, but it, it doesn't form a major part of the electrolyte component. Um, potassium was another one, uh, which uh, when tested, there wasn't a huge disparity between individuals' um, potassium loss. And it ranged between about 190 milligrams per one litre of sweat up to about 280 milligrams per one litre of sweat. But it was quite uniform. But what we found in testing was if you consume too much potassium during, uh, it can cause hyperkalemia. And too much potassium in the bloodstream uh, is a precursor to muscle fatigue, lethargy and nausea which are three things that athletes certainly want to avoid. <laughs> <Yep>. so, yes. <laughs> so 
Um, that was sort of, we stumbled across that when we were testing the formulation when doing the, the electrolyte tablet in that, um, you know, palatability is paramount when you're, um, when you're formulating sports nutrition products because it's, uh, you, you just, you, you have to consume a lot over an extended period of time. And if it's not palatable, then it's going to uh, minimise your, uh, your your intake. So potassium was one where we did see with ECGs that um, there was a, uh, a some heart arrhythmia. And it wasn't really put down to potassium at the start. It was more from a palatability that we wanted to reduce potassium. But we noticed that as we reduced potassium in the formula, those heart arrhythmias went away and power outputs that were initially dropping away were remaining steady again. So we put that two together and uh, um, without really expecting that to be the case, reducing the potassium actually made it a, 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 the, the uh, tablet a lot more palatable, but it also fixed these issues that we were seeing with these uh, ECGs and also with power output. Mm. So, so I think we've sort of covered fairly well the, the electrolyte side of things and if people, if you want to go into more detail, go to think .fast, thinkgofaster.com and um, we'll go through that later on. But in terms of um, people's caloric intake or, or you know the nutrition that they're taking on during the day, putting electrolytes to one side, you yeah. sort of talked about, right, figure out your, your sweat rate, um, your sodium loss um, and then ha what, what sort of method do you use to go, okay, you need this amount per hour in terms of your calories in or carbohydrates in, whatever, um, versus um, the next person in the queue. Yeah, sorry, I, I skipped over that. Yeah, the um, you know the rule of thumb, as, you, as you're probably aware, is that one gram of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight per hour. Mm. Um, now, this is it, with sports nutrition, a, a lot of it's very general, um, and the fact is. Let's take two 60-kilogram athletes as an example, um, and we'll use the Ironman um, mm. event. Uh, one 60-kilogram athlete might be shooting for an 8.45 or, or a sub-nine hour, and the other 60-kilogram athlete might be shooting for a 12, 13 hours. So those two different athletes, although they weigh the same, their intensity is going to be very different. And the, and the calorie expenditure for that faster 60 kilo athlete will be closer to 900 to 1,000 calories an hour. For the other 60 kilo, kilo athlete who's not going to be as fast, um, you know, their calorie expenditure might be around 550 to 650 calories an hour. So using that analogy of, of uh, one gram of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight per hour, you're providing those two athletes with the exact same amount of calories, which is um, four calories per gram of carbohydrate, so 240 calories an hour. Now, that, that, that athlete not competing uh, as intensely probably can um, get away with those 240 calories an hour, assuming their stomach can tolerate that, um, because they've bridged the gap from that 550 to 650, they're able to consume 240 calories an hour. So uh, that gap, is you know it's you've got some fat burning capabilities there and those sorts of things, um, and obviously the better conditioned you are, the better they're going to be able to tolerate that gap. But that other 60 kilo athlete who's burning you know a thousand calories an hour, 
if they're working on that 240 calorie scenario, that gap is massive. Mm. So with an understanding of, of how big that gap is between their expenditure and how much their stomach can tolerate, if they're able to increase their calorie intake and bridge that gap a bit better, um, we, we found that you know, they were able to um, leave T2 into the marathon feeling a heck of a lot better than they had previously. Because um, now, what, what we've recognised over the years is the stomach can tolerate, and I try not, try not to generalise, but around about 350 calories an hour is about um, the maximum the stomach can tolerate over an extended period of time. And what that 60 kilo athlete was, in, was, was able to do now was bridge that gap between that 1,000 and now they got a lot closer to, uh, or not, you know, they were able to bridge the gap mm. um, a bit better to, uh, to their energy expenditure. Um, and, and when you talk about fat burning capabilities, there's a big gap between how much the, the real fast athletes are, are expending and how much their stomach can actually tolerate. Um, so once you have an understanding of the amount of calories that you require, which is based on the intensity that you compete at, and it's based on your stomach's tolerance, how much your stomach can tolerate comfortably per hour over an extended period of time. Then once you know that number, that won't ever change, whether it's one degree or whether it's 41 degrees. Mm. Your power output, will, power output will always be the same. Um, so what, and what, what I mentioned before is what will change is your hydration strategy, um, but your calories will always stay the same. So in terms of um, you know what you're often advising people to eat, is it sort of the traditional gels, chomps, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, or is it is it massively variable from athlete to athlete? Yeah, um, ideally, um, an athlete will um, derive most of their calories through an energy gel, and the, the reason for this and. You know, most energy gel manufacturers probably really don't know much about energy to volume ratio. They probably don't know much about um, thermic effect, um, low sensory impact, all those sorts of things. It's really, really important for athletes that are competing in endurance events and, and need to be able to um, minimise their percentage of loss. And Unfortunately, the sports nutrition company is dominated by marketing companies. Sorry, the sports nutrition industry is dominated by marketing companies, and uh, you know the, the ones that bring out these chews and these chomps, and they're just lollies. It's just confectionery. Um, so, to answer your question, if you can consume gels, then they provide the greatest amount of calories in the least amount of volume. Uh, with the with the lowest thermic effect possible, meaning it requires the least amount of energy to convert to fuel, mm. um, which is all very important when you need to uh, be supplying the the bloodstream of glucose to uh, to keep you functioning. Obviously, the brain and active muscles. So, but, how does sorry. that sort of compare to you know you know obviously we've got some of the the sports um, drinks companies like. Um, Hammer Nutrition, and I don't want to name a whole bunch of them, but but where they're really pushing that you get all your calories from from liquid um, rather than going yeah. down the gels path. Yeah, well, that's uh, 
we don't all ride the same size bike and we don't all wear the same size shoes. What, what they're providing there is a one-size-fits-all solution. Now, as mentioned, your calorie intake or, or the amount of calories that an athlete is going to require is going to be very different. Everyone's calorie intake is going to be different and then it's going to be determined by how much your stomach can tolerate. Mm. Now, if you're relying on your calories in a drink, you're locked into a preset volume of fluid you're locked into a preset amount of calories and you're locked into a preset electrolyte component. It's, it's a one-size-fits-all solution. Mm. So what's going to happen now that the amount of calories might be just right for what you require, but you're locked into that volume of fluid. So if you go racing a cold race, then you have to drink that full volume of fluid regardless of whether you need that fluid at that time because you only need to drink based on your sweat rate. And if you're drinking beyond what you need, you're going to compromise the stomach. Now, you can't change the electrolyte component. Now, if you have a, a high sodium concentration in your sweat because you've been tested and you have an understanding of your own physiological makeup, then what you're going to have to rely on then is salt tablets and all those sorts of things. And the only reason salt tablets were ever introduced in the market is because these sports drinks lack the sodium that most athletes require, particularly in hot, humid conditions. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's not, it doesn't make any sense to rely on your calories and your drink because your hydration strategy will be constantly changing mm. and it will be different with every athlete. And, you know, I use the analogy of, of bikes and shoes because you don't walk into a bike shop and have one bike to choose from. You don't walk into a running store and have one pair of shoes to choose from. We're all di very different. And we all have different requirements and we need to be able to customize and adapt. And, and if we lock ourselves into a, into a solution that is a one-size-fits-all, um, well, it's, it's, well I, I don't really see the point in that at all. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit more about um, the book that you've got out, um, Sweat, Think, Go Faster. Um, and as a, uh, it looks like it's a, an e-book. Maybe just tell us a bit more about what's in there if people are keen to get a copy of that. Yeah, it, just, it basically just spells out that we're all different. Um, it spells out that you know, if you've had stomach issues in the past or cramping, then it, it, it most athletes are of, of the understanding that it's just part of endurance um, events, that you know, you, you, you're going to experience this. Now, some athletes will go through the whole career not, not ever experience cramping. And when you test those athletes, you know, the results come back that they have a low sodium concentration in their sweat and they have a low sweat rate. But then you have athletes who are plagued by um, cramping. And the, the results will come back that they have an extraordinarily high sweat rate and or a high sodium concentration in their sweat. And then by knowing that, you, then they can, you, you can then address their individual needs and you can sort out the issues that they've experienced previously. Um, but that's kind of the book just... Um, it, it doesn't talk about the products that, that I've formulated. It just talks about having an understanding that you are an individual and that you have specific needs and you need to address those needs exactly how you set up your bike to suit your particular um, frame and size and, and preferences. Hmm. And then you'll customise that as you get more experienced 
and you'll drop the seat or, you'll, or the seat angle will change or you'll increase the crank length or the head stem height. Or all those changes to customise and be more efficient. So you need to then take that same um, thinking into your sports nutrition. You need to be able to customise and adapt and that's what the book's about. Mm. And um, presumably it's an e-book? Yeah, it's an e-book through Amazon. Um, and there's also a PDF version that uh, that you can purchase that you can just download. Perfect. So, guys, we'll, we'll have links to that on, on our website. And in terms of um, for your Aussie listeners, um, you've got your own products and also that sweat test kit. Or are your or are your products available overseas as well? Uh, they are, but mainly through Asia, yeah. um, Japan, UAE, Singapore, Philippines. Um, and we're just looking at Taiwan and, and Thailand at the moment. Um, New Zealand, we had a distributor there, but uh, they've decided that um, it's, it's not going to work for them. They're in the, sort of the outdoor mm. industry. Um, so if there's any Can't trust those Kiwis. <laughs> any potential distributors there in New Zealand, then uh, let us know. We're, uh, we, I think New Zealand's a fantastic uh, market. There's the, the uh, population of, of active lifestyle participants there is, is massive yeah. um, and they uh, yeah, it, it, they should have the access to this shot sports nutrition too perfect anything else you want to cover cover off um, yeah just just really um, also with the book it, it will give athletes an understanding of of why they may have um, preferred different conditions compared to others. Um, while they might really struggle in the cold or whether they've struggled in the heat or all those sorts of things. And it, it, it comes down to their own physiological makeup. And it comes down to the cards that you're, uh, that you're dealt. But it doesn't mean that you can't address those issues and it doesn't mean that you can't then um, compete well in those conditions. It's just about having an understanding of, of your physiological makeup and then addressing your needs accordingly and then uh, adapting uh, your nutrition strategy to those conditions. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, guys, so we'll have some links to um, websites and stuff on um, imtalk.me. So, Daryl, thanks so much for your time. That was, uh, it was awesome. No worries, John. Okay, Jonbo, we are back. Questions and answers. Jonbo, we've, got, we we've only got one today, but it was actually a pretty interesting one from Charles All Black Nickel. And I think he's an Australian rugby fan because I kind of gave the plug to the All Blacks when, uh, when I sent the response to this email. And, uh, yeah, he wants Australia to win. So it's going to be a big weekend this weekend for the All Blacks. But he sent through this really interesting kind of email. He's basically saying, boys, interesting stuff here. He's basically got two age group championships from this year and the previous years of the world champs in Kona. And one of them does no speed work, massive amounts of slow pace. And then the other guy does a massive amount of speed work and no long quality work. So he looks, he does nothing long, but it's all short, sharp quality work with emphasis on recovery. And Charles was kind of making the point, it's just very fascinating how you can have two high quality athletes with two fundamentally different philosophies around how they're training. And, and this, this flows on really nicely from the interview we've just heard about nutritional strategies in terms of that it's just impossible. Yeah. There's, there's no one size fits all. 
um, the sort of the you know you can pitch for the middle middle summer and then you start deviating from that. But yeah, it's it's we'll have these links up on the website. Hopefully, Bevan will get yeah, I'll do that. Yep. But it's yeah, it's a real contrast, and some people can get away with doing just speed work. They're just natural engines, and they haven't either they haven't got the time to train, or they choose not to, to go go out training uh, long stuff. Vice versa, there's some people that just go out and go long all the time. Like Dylan McNeese is a really good example of someone who just goes long and pretty easy all the time, and it's really successful for him. Um, mm. But we've got, we've got an example here of a guy who's only got 10 to 12 hours to train per week and he goes out there and does high-intensity intervals. There's lots of examples of, of people that do both sides of it and unfortunately there's, uh, there's no right answer. But this, again, gives you a bit more information and try different things, different seasons. You know, you might have a season of going long and slow, see how that works. Um, you might have a season of, of minimising those uh, that long-distance stuff and just doing high-intensity stuff. What, what I think we do, you know... If, fairly well agree on a lot of us is that the high intensity stuff um, is a higher risk of uh, injuring yourself yeah for sure um, that's the first so thought that comes to your mind isn't it it is um, but some people can, can get away with that you can say the same thing about doing lots of long stuff you know that repetitiveness you can get some slightly you know um, you know, ITB tightening issues and things like that but um, well I think yeah. the thing that's probably one of the bigger problems with the added, or like kind of the focus on intensity is that people don't necessarily adapt smartly to intensity so when they, they let's say you kind of get inspired by this guy who's doing 10 hours and going really hard and you know you think well I've only got 10 hours so I'm going to do high intensity and a lot of people go to intensities that are too high based on the current ability and so they, they kind of set themselves up for injury and then that reinforces oh, well I'm never good at doing high intensity whereas maybe it's a better strategy to take a lower slower approach to getting to the point where my body can handle those intensities now you find that you know once you get to that the, the being able to manage them for longer periods of time is a much more achievable thing and so it's maybe more how do I safely adapt to the levels of intensity where I could train you know 10 to 12 hours a week and really blitz my body but also, you know, not injure myself in the process. Mm. So one of these interviews is uh, the age group, first age group winner overall in Kona. He was in the uh, 18 to 24 age group. <laughs> He's running along with the old running shorts on, the uh, the camelback on, nice. and he has got some weird-ass thing going off some goatee with these little plaited red and blue thing going off it. But I've got to give him a bit of love. He's got this picture of him, I assume it's after the race, with this gigantic calzone bloody pizza there. It looks like a volcano, awesome. doesn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, far out, yeah. Yeah, far out. He looks like a, yeah. He looks like he's a venture racer, doesn't he? He does. Okay, Jombo, uh, that's pretty much the questions and answers for this week. Let's just talk about some patrons. We have got a few fantastic patrons. Anne Thong Thiles, fantastic woman that she is. She guided uh, Tina Aunt around the course last year, who's a blind athlete that went around Kona, and she's done that at several other races as well. So fantastic supporter of our sport and gets out there and tries a whole bunch of other things. Lovely person too. Sorry? She's, well, she's just a real lovely person, isn't she? Yeah, and she does. Uh, she's done Ironmans in thongs, as in jandals yeah. for us Kiwis, which is just madness. Yeah, it's craziness. Uh, next one, I wasn't sure if it was Joan or Thomas, because the email address was a little um, hard to tell, but Joan or Thomas Derry, and I thought the barge. Nice. Why? I don't know why the barge. Um, just barges I'm everyone out of the way. Yeah, it just came much. The barge. And then finally, uh, Joe... Aragon Spragans. 
any idea where this come this one came from, Bevan? Well, I think you probably went Bilbo Baggins. Sounds like Spriggins. Yes. And then you went yes. Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Well done. Oh, mate, we, we think about that page. <laughs> yeah, no, you got it. <coughs> well, you're right I'm dying back here. I'm yeah. dying. You'll survive. You've only got a few more minutes to go. So, well done. I like that one. It was very classy. Gosh. So, guys, if you do want to become a patron of the show, just go to www.imtalk.me and you'll see on there in our little community page, you can click on the Become a Patron of the Show. And as always, you're going to draw to win a free entry to Kona for next year. And also, not the race, but to come along and watch the race. And also, there's other kind of gifts based on how much you want to become a patron. So, once again, www.imtalk.me. John, sponsors? Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. The people who rock the world. Okay, Job, I have to admit, I'm at the airport right now, and people are definitely giving me funny looks. I, uh, I've got I've yeah. got to give some love to Stockholm Airport. This is the best quality airport Wi-Fi I think I've ever heard. Is it really? Well, well it's good. <laughs> I can't complain. Sensational. Then. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, sensational. The, the, the Swedish do, do things pretty well. It's uh, mm-hmm. They're a pretty classy kind of society, the Swedes. Um, what's your gosh, Jombo? Running the marathon this weekend. How are you feeling? And in a, in a positive frame of mind, I'm very good at convincing myself, sometimes slightly delusionally, that I'm going to have an amazing day at the office because yep. the training has not been ideal. It has been a very rocky road. I am back running on the road. I've had this week back running on the road. And, yeah, it's, it's hard to know how I'm going to go, but I've got in my mind, I've done all the visualization. I'm actually absolutely convinced I'm going to have a good run, uh, not so stupid that I think I'm going to smash my personal best, but feeling that uh, I could, yeah, if I go under 240, I'll be wrapped. Sorry, I was yawning. But <laughs> oh, God. And uh, that's about all not, my marathon guys. Not that I'm bored by your race. I had two hours sleep, so it's a long story. But um, so what? So pace it. So how are you going to pace it? Are you going to pace it for a 240? I'm going to go out at one, nine, ten, one, one hour 19 through, through halfway and then just see what happens. My main concern is my quads sort of blowing out. You know, the, the pace is not electric, relatively speaking, for me. It's just how my quads are going to handle it because. As soon as I had my first couple of sessions back on the road after several weeks of no running and then doing a little bit of treadmill running, my quads took a beating. So uh, I've done a couple of hard runs and my legs constantly taped up. So I think I'll be okay to get through it, but it's just uh, how I'm going to handle that second second half. But I'm okay, so here's the question for you. You, you. you know you're not going to get to 240. You know it's, it's not going to happen. You're running past the big screens where they find the rugby. Ten minutes ago on the rugby, it's you know, a, tr- a try within it, do you finish your race? Well, that's it, 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 not going to work out that way, but I would say if that was a situation where I was running past the, the viaduct, whereas in, in Auckland is the main area, yep. if the wheels had fallen off, Get and if over. it was at halfway, temptation may give way. If, if the wheels had definitely fallen off. Yeah. Um, I'm not interested in, in finishing races and stuff. It's just hanging in there is, 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 does not do a huge amount for me. I'm out there to, to do really well. And it doesn't necessarily always mean you're going to set a personal best. But you know, if I can't be running to, to my potential, normally I wouldn't just pike out. But on this occasion... I think you'd have an excuse. I think I'd have an excuse, but I think by the time we actually come past there, it's going to be about 20 past seven, and I think the game will be done and dusted by then. You're highly likely you're going to see the result, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I think that's inevitable. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. I see, I'm, I'm trying to get home from Auckland to Christchurch. 
<laughs> which I don't get home to like 10.30 and I've got two hours in the airport trying to think that I can maybe not see the result. Highly unlikely, but you've got to live with hope, don't you, John? You could, yeah, you could do. Yeah. yeah. If you just if you just keep some earphones in, keep head down. Uh, I've got a cap. Head gla- yeah. And yeah, I'll, I'll be the person who wears the glasses inside the airport. That cool person. I think you got a chance. It's a good challenge for you. Yeah, well, I tell you, I'm going to try because I'd love to be able yeah. to get to see the final without knowing the result. Yeah. yeah. So, Bevan, any exciting goss from Sweden? Any Swedish blonde beauties? Oh, John. <laughs> there, 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 there are some attractive women in Sweden. That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah, I, I've had a really amazing time. I, I taught um, probably my, one of my biggest career highlights. I taught a class of nearly 2,000 people. Um, it was, seriously, it was it's just like a rock star moment like you go in and it was just thousands of people and the energy was amazing and yeah it was just a buzz I was teaching and the funny thing is when I get when I uh, when I get nervous I get a really dry mouth like I just kind of like I become a desert in my mouth and um, and literally the first two tracks are happening and I was teaching the third track and I just my mouth I had no water in my mouth and I'm thinking how am I going to teach and luckily there was someone there was a problem with the kind of audio so we had to stop and I got some water because I don't think I could have spoken. I was so dry. What do you? What, what happens to you when you're nervous? Uh, oh, no, I certainly don't have that, that sort of sensation. Just the old standard uh, butterflies in the stomach, really. Do you do the nervous pee? No, no, just uh-huh. no. I stick with the butterflies. I get the nervous it's got to be a pretty smelly room afterwards with 2,000 people doing aerobics. Oh, uh, no, it's, it's where they do concerts. Like, it's literally mm. like... Imagine Dragons played the night before us. Um, Lady Gaga played there recently, you know. So it's like it's, it's a concert venue basically, and so yeah, no, I don't think it's too smelly. The, the funny thing was, was so we do this class and it's you know it's pretty cool and we're treated very much like celebrities. So afterwards, we have to do this photo shoot and we walk out and there's like, a, you know, a thousand people want to do photos with us. So we we're basically we're like bloody Mickey Mouse at Disney World, and people will just be this line to take a photo and. And that was where it was stinky because you basically had people who'd done an exercise coming and <laughs> putting their sweetie smell around you. It was pretty gross. So, yeah, that was pretty gross. But no, it was definitely, it was, it was an amazing experience. Now I'm heading over to spend some time with the Rose in New York and then get home next week. So I'll be back in the studios next week. But it was definitely a pretty cool, pretty awesome. If you want to check it out, go to my Facebook page, team. I've got a photo and some, some photos. And there's actually a video of the class, one of the classes I taught. And... It is pretty mind-blowing, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. But anyway, um, let's wrap it up, John, because I've got to get on a plane. I'm Russ. I'm Mando. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.